What have been the high points and low points for local economic development and placemaking in 2022? What have we learned from LED Confidential about the major trends shaping our sector? And what are going to be the big ticket issues for LED and placemaking in 2023? I'm David Marlowe and you're listening to LED Confidential, the podcast that tries to lift the lid on those intractable and enduring challenges facing those of us working in and on local economic development and placemaking today. And I'm Mike Spicer. Join us in this, our seventh and final episode of 2022, as we review the year in local economic development. So, David, give us a reason to be optimistic. What have been your high points for 2022 in a year that I think we can both agree has been eventful? Let's put it diplomatically like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you, you had given me the heads up on this opening question and you know, thanks very much because it is, as ever, a, a really challenging one. So, I mean, I did have a... I, I'm going to offer a couple of things. I mean, first, in a year where government has been so awful in many, many ways, I actually do think, looking back, that... February's levelling up white paper was actually quite an interesting read about the diagnosis of regional and local inequality in the UK and did posit an approach to addressing it, which I think was actually quite potentially quite innovative and interesting. So I'm going to offer that on the government side. And and I suppose, and, and of course, because that is also, there's going to be a flip lows point to that as well. But um, I suppose the other one I'd offer, which I think is more in our domain, is that despite the overwhelming short-term crises, certainly I, and I know you, in our work, so many places are still thinking long-term, are thinking about disruptive change, are thinking uh, about vision and you know, challenging the norms rather than solely focusing on the urgent immediate crises of the day. So I'll offer those two as a starter. Do, do either of those resonate with you? I think that the, the, your choice of the levelling at white paper is, is a good way to kick it off, actually. As I was thinking th- over the year, I, my, my thought on this was perhaps less to do with government policy and more to do with, you know, if you had to kind of move away from the awfulness of, of, of some of the, the governing behaviours over the last year, what would, what would those high points be? And, and I think in some ways the levelling up white paper um, picks up on some of the themes there but I the, the one I was going to give was one that I had mentioned on a, a previous episode was to do with vocational education actually so my, my high point was a piece of research by the Social Market Foundation actually roughly published roughly the same time as the leveling up white paper I think back in February or or March of this year um, which really pointed to a shift in public attitudes uh, towards the value of vocational education as a route into a uh, career um, with, I think it was 48% of people preferring their children to take a vocational qualification 
over university. And this appreciation for vocal education extends to university graduates and your kind of middle class socioeconomic groups. So this isn't something that is uh, confined to one part of the population. It's a broadly held view. Um, and it has it is one that has evolved rather quickly over the last uh, decade. And the reason why I think that's a good thing is that although it's very easy to find the negatives um, in education and training and point to some of the false dawns of reforms past, probably the biggest enemy, um, you could argue, has been a lack of political focus and energy on some of the big challenges around that. And you just think, well, if you have a plurality of voters now who believe very strongly in the value of vocational education, then the dream of a sort of parity of esteem um, in in policy circles between further education and higher education seems to be a realistic one now, um, much more realistic perhaps than it was uh, 10 years ago. And And sort of further on from that, We've had uh, this year um, local skills and improvement plans, local skills and improvement plans or LSIPs being put on a statutory footing. And you could see that as being part of the same trend of political energy beginning to coalesce around vocational education as a force for good in local economic development. So that, I'm going to say I'm going to put that as my as my high point. Yeah, and look, I actually think that's a, a really good one. And, and I mean, it's strange because, you know, our third provocation was the big ticket issues for LED and placemaking in 23. And I was certainly going to say, you know, it would be really good if at some time early-ish in the new year we could look at... Yes, I, I sort of agree with you, this pivot towards tech and vocational education, towards actually foundation industries and sectors uh, and towards place reinvention you know post covid and post other crises you know as you know part of the agendas that we ought to actually try and address in 2023 and that i suspect would be part of my answer to the third provocation about the big ticket issues so you know in some ways we're actually really um you know, agreed on that, and I and, and I mean, let me throw the the you know beyond tech and vocational education. Um, you know, what what's your looking forward sort of big ticket things that you'd like LED Confidential to to touch on? You know, in the first half of next year, I I I'd, I'd like to think that um, our sector. Um, local economic development has something important to say about the role of productivity in raising living standards. I think it's it's arguably the biggest of all of the economic um, policy challenges right now. Everything else flows from it, from the amount of resource that the um, that we can command to put to social addressing social challenges. Everything in the end comes back to how productive our economy is. And, um, you know, if if we're about anything in local economic development, it's about extending opportunity and wealth and well-being to communities that don't have it. So 
the you know it seems to me that our sector must have something important to say about how we address this chronic challenge of underperformance on an international um, comparative scale around um, productivity, employee productivity. So that 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 would be my that would be my pitch. Obviously, it's a massive topic; it covers lots of different things. Um, you could speak for days about it and not go anywhere. Um, so it will be it will be a difficult one to address. But for me, it's it's almost the foundational one, really. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it has been the um, you know, in a sense the orthodox. British national growth model has focused so much on you know, tackling the productivity paradox or malaise, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I was certainly thinking along similar lines, you know, for a 2023 episode you know, around, are we moving to models of you know, inclusive growth or clean growth or net zero growth? And what does that actually mean for the evolution of the the orthodox productivity improvement model, which, let's face it, I mean, in terms of international comparators, has actually been incredibly limited. Uh, and, and also in terms of local and regional inequality, you know, doesn't seem to have been, you know, closing the gap. So um, how local leadership teams can contribute to new... Uh, I suppose new sort of types of of productivity growth, but which are inclusive, which are green. Uh, I think is a really you know signature topic for our profession, and indeed for the local leadership teams that we serve going forward. And and it will be interesting to see you know how that actually does play out. Um. I mean, do you have other sort of reflections? I mean, we started off with the high points for 2022, and I think we've already alluded to the low points. I mean, when I when I offered the levelling up white paper as a high point, I was I have to say that and that was just in I February, could, wasn't it? <laughs> and that was in February. <laughs> I, I I couldn't decouple it from government's default to loads and loads of competitive bidding rounds. Um, you know, as as in a sense, a a low point of how not to put the levelling up white paper into practice. This this will amuse you, David. But before before I came on air, I performed a little experiment. So you may have heard of the artificial intelligence bot called Chat GPT, uh, and which, which I have, I'm pleased to report, now being used. I am now using it in my local economic development work. And I asked it how many live challenge funding competitions were being run by the UK government as of now in local economic development. And the answer it came back with was 200. So there are, oh there are according God. to ChatGPT, 200 live funding competitions in the local economic development space in the UK, run by the UK government. So well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know is, if that's true, but I can believe it. I can, I can certainly believe it's true. How on earth did they know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, look, I mean, it, it sort of says it all, but it, it does actually. You know, again, if I look back at the highlights of LED Confidential, I mean, I think we've had six superb guests, and you know, certainly one of the things that I particularly remember is, I think it was Julia's 
point about uh, when we were looking it's actually very interesting wasn't it because the episode that we do we did with julia goldsworthy was about what to expect from the trust government and as it as it turned out we we didn't end up expecting which she didn't end up very delivering very much in uh, 44 days but the points that julia made are as relevant for the incoming sunak government as they were for um liz truss and and um, what you talk, <laughs> the 200 challenge funds does bring to mind, you know, Julia's mantra about, you know, for heaven's sake, one of the best things that could happen would be for government to stop doing things. And she came up with an immediate three and this was them. Please, can we not have endless competitions for tiny pots of funding so that you're Kind of, you know, you're, you're among friends, event. Julia, on that one. <laughs> <laughs> we have done, a, we have done an episode on. It. <laughs> um, please, can we not get bogged down in restructuring? It's not about whether we have a mayoral construct or unitization or whether we get rid of LEPs. Or it's could we just work out how we work more effectively across the boundaries of whatever organisations and geography that we've got? Because however you define them, there will still be a boundary. Please, can we get out of the transactional conversations where everything is about you know negotiated deal it's for me it's it's got to be fundamentally how can we create the space where we can have a grown-up conversation that says what is the sum total of public and private sector resource that's going into our place if we had a magic wand what would we do to transform our place and then using all of that resource how can we work together to get as close to that as possible Obviously, the profusion of um, fragmented funding arrangements for, for placemaking has been a, a real feature of, of our of our sector over the last uh, ten years or so. But I, I think in the last year, one one can sink even lower than that. I think that there, that there is a depth yet that can be plumbed, and um, I think just in general terms, the relationship between the centre and local areas has been, I, I think, probably more strained in this year than it has it's ever been in, in my career. Um, I stand to be corrected on that, but um, I'll, I'll pull out at least a couple of examples of just how this has played out. So we've had the, the utter absurdity of um, area-based initiatives like Innovation Zones that were launched and then aborted within weeks, mm-hmm. weeks, um, and so you had people who were, you know, they, was, they were launched towards the end of the summer, the early autumn. So, you know, you're catching people, you know, when they're on their, you know, um, school holidays and, and whatnot. So there was a, a huge rush to put these quite sophisticated proposals together, as they had to be. Uh, area-based initiatives um, always require quite sophisticated analysis to, to put um, bids around. So you've had to procure consultancy services do quite sophisticated analysis do quite rapid um, consultation with uh, stakeholders particularly in the sort of property development space and 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 whatnot and you've had to do that in the space of a couple of weeks really Uh, and then only for that scheme to be abandoned just a few weeks after that I think that that uh, has created a lot of bad blood it also makes it very much harder now for central government to engage local areas where they do have um, an initiative that's been thought through. So I think that 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 has, I hope it hasn't done lasting damage. 
Um, but I fear that it probably has because um, just the resources that have been expended in some of these initiatives uh, are resources we'll never see again. So in a, in a constrained environment like the one we're in, it's it's uh, really challenging. The, the other example I would give has been some of the place marketing competitions that have been launched um, for the location of civil servants. So an example of that would be the marketing place marketing uh, competition for the location of the um, Great British Railways HQ, oh, which is now, yes. well, it was in its later stages and, and down to its shortlist. And I know from, from working with those on the campaigns that, I mean, those have been in some cases very sophisticated campaigns. They've brought together whole communities of people um, in in ways that have, have been really positive. Um, and I think actually it created a lot of positive conversations around the future of, of places. And so for that to be put on ice in the way that it has been, again, is, is another example of, you know, something that was launched and, 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 and you know, delayed uh, over a relatively short space of time within this year. So I think it's another example of that. But uh, my fear going into 2023 is that uh, particularly with the prospect of a changing government, um, which all, of course, always leads to a certain amount of inertia um, around um, LED initiatives. Um, that's going to be very much worse, given the the recent experience of abandoned initiatives. Uh, so, yeah, we 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 have. Sp- I mean, look, I I agree with both your examples. You know, they are you know, exemplars of so much that is wrong with the top-down approaches to. LED and placemaking, and you know it's it's an absolute priority that we find ways to to change the the English in particular model of of doing these things. I mean, I'd like us to come back to area based initiatives in in uh, twenty twenty three in one of our episodes, and uh, you know because whenever in a sense they are gifts off offered from on high. Um, for places, you know, are they always hopelessly compromised by the particular whims of those who are uh, are giving the gift? I suppose one would say. I, and I, I think as, as well the general point about a kind of central government as a source of instability in local planning. Um, Tom Stannard, our guest in episode two, I think covers that point quite well when he talks about uh, you know how sometimes more locally rooted decisions aren't just good in terms of making good decisions but they can also bring a degree of stability in institutional form and um, that you don't see with more centralized um, forms of governance around economic development but i think it's fair to say that in areas like the area that i i now work where there has been arguably a greater greater level of devolution than there has in some parts of the country to a you know a new uh, regional authority with arguably a greater level of political legitimacy than things like the RDAs that preceded it. That it has been harder for governments, um, successive governments, to play around with that settlement and to disrupt that settlement. And although we're seeing 
other changes in um, structure and form and funding around health and social care, for example, the underlying principles of that being a devolved settlement that is as important in our economic planning and thinking as a region as the economic development funds per se, I think are are really important. But you know, it it is absolutely the case, and I would I would argue this as a kind of born localist on this agenda and someone who's worked in and around this space for a number of years now that we are unique in a way that is bizarre to outsiders in other words we are uniquely centralized we are bizarrely over over centralized still to this day oh uh, yeah i mean that's a really well made point and let let, let us come back to area based initiatives in in 2023 but i mean i suppose the the big counter to the you know creep or indeed the charge of centralization that we've seen following covid and and brexit and so on you know is to find a way of delivering enhanced evolution you know to places and to local leadership teams and we've had some really good discussions you know about devolution several of our guests uh, mentioned actually the growth of the profile and reputation of elected mayors uh, as one of the positives, one of the reasons to be hopeful. And again, notwithstanding their limitations, government has continued to agree, at least on paper, um, new devolution arrangements with new geographies, you know, North Yorkshire and York, the uh, wrongly named East Midlands and recently Cornwall and we're threatened with Norfolk, Suffolk and various other geographies. I mean, I do think that there needs to be a a fresh start in devolution um, because I'm not totally convinced myself that those agreements are either deep enough or broad enough to actually give all the local leadership teams the powers and resources that they actually need to affect radical change. Um, but as actually Andy Pike said in our last episode, um, you know, do does Westminster any longer have the levers and the buttons that are connected to profound local change in any event? The classic rationales for devolution, I think, still stand. The idea that you can allocate resources more efficiently through devolved institutions. You are closer to producers and consumers in terms of local knowledge and unlocking productive efficiencies and democratic accountability. You know, these are the three classic sort of rationales for decentralization. And I think those still stand. You can't do public policymaking, I don't think, from a national centre in a top-down way. The idea and the old sort of cliche now, I suppose, that you can expect to pull a lever in Whitehall and find that the lever's not really connected to anything. You know, this is the the old the old joke and critique then of, uh, of national centralised top-down kind of policymaking. And I think in our current uncertain, sort of volatile, disruptive times, I think that becomes ever more important that the complexity involved, the need for coordination, integration, alignment of funding and financing measures to actually move the dial and to sort of you know, genuinely tailor the policy mix to local circumstances to actually uh, make a difference on some of the big challenges that uh, both Mike and David you, you've uh, identified there, I think is, is ever more uh, important. 
I, I think one of the so there's, there's two points there. I think one is that the reality of 2023 will be that we're heading ever closer to a general election, uh, a general election in which, whether rightly or wrongly, there is a widespread expectation, certainly among place leadership teams, of a um, a major change of of, of government. Um, so, you know, potentially with a a, a majority Labour government returned. So, um, as as in past examples of a changing government, that you know what you often see is, and you see this replicated, of course, at a local level with changes in in local control of councils, is that if you know there's big political change on the horizon, that does tend to pour glue typically on um, changes in governance and organisational form as opponents hold out and um, and also our you know, proponents are reluctant to put forward major uh, changes when it could be overturned at a later date. So I suspect 2020, and, and I'm happy to be called out on it, but I suspect 2023 will not be known as a year of major organisational change in our sector. I suspect it, the political context simply precludes that in most cases. But I think that the basic point that decentralisation, devolution of powers is going to be an animating theme of our sector for as long as, you know, for the foreseeable future, I think that's still likely to stand. And if you look at Labour's proposals for devolution, um, I think I've seen a lot of negativity from some in our sector saying, you know, it doesn't go far enough and it hasn't addressed certain issues around boundary changes and things like that. I, I tend to be a glass half full sort of a person in that I think it's possible to try to do too much with devolution. And as we know from experience, uh, devolution always involves a transfer of power. People will always oppose that as well as as well as uh, be advocates of it. So you've got to be a bit realistic about what you can achieve um, without, you know, blowing everything up. So I think it's probably as ambitious as it could be for a document like that at this point in the political cycle. Um, that's not to say that it could yet evolve in, in a radically different direction. But I think overall, the, the stars are aligned for probably another wave of devolution post-2024 or 2025, rather than in 2023. Yeah, no, I, I again, I mean, I've, we are really in violent agreement today, <laughs> Mike. It, it must be the seasonal spirit coming through. But yeah, I actually really liked Gordon Brown's work. I actually thought it provides a... Yeah, an interesting foundation for a potential future Labour government to build on. Um, as often is the case, there's a hell of a lot in it. Um, I'm actually, I've just been commissioned to do a, a briefing note on it for the local government community. So it'll be an opportunity to get into it in some depth and to see actually what type of preparation local leadership teams can begin to make for you know addressing part of that agenda and actually feeding into a government that might be more sympathetic to that type of approach than what we've seen in the sort of post post brexit post covid era so yeah i'm sort of with you i think there's quite a lot of potential for a post 24 you know realignment of our approach and 
So therefore, I think there is a, a, a strong case for local leadership teams in 23 to you know, take some time out to you know, reflect on their visions, reflect on their priorities, reflect on their partnership arrangements and actually reflect on their capacity and capability to deliver change effectively. And I think those are all sort of issues that it would be good to come back to in some greater detail in, in uh, LED confidential issues. And, and certainly, you know, I know you feel this as well, that you know, if there are listeners who want to make suggestions either about topics or guests, they will always be you know, very welcome. And um, you know, we, would, we would really like to, uh, to hear from you. I mean, just just moving on, the, the other thing that I thought it would be worth us just reflecting on, because we haven't done an explicit LED confidential episode on it in um, in 22, you know, is the decarbonisation agenda. Um, and you know, whatever the merits of, of COP27, I think both you and I and our work are finding net zero nature recovery, biodiversity, and actually connecting these very, very big ticket issues to the reality of local people's lives is an increasing preoccupation. And where do you think we've got to in local economic development practice in, if you like, building that in to our prescriptions and our you know our work taking that type of action forward so i i think that this that's it's on several levels and it plays out differently across the country so there's the when you speak to people who work in the renewable energy industry um people who work in and around um batteries and energy storage and management type uh, industries, then what what you're you, they're really seized of the scale of the industrial development challenge that net zero presents. So if we take um, electrification, so if we're moving from a world um, a carbon based world to one where everything is electrified and you know from all of our forms of transport, that the sheer amount of change in consumer habits um, in our industrial base um, and actually not all of the technological uh, waypoints have been met yet on that journey so we're we're, we're having to undergo this huge uh, new industrial revolution inventing technologies as we go change as a society in some pretty fundamental ways especially in the way that we use transport the potential for it to be a transformative force in placemaking is obviously there every bit as much as previous uh, waves of industrial uh, development and and technological change have been every bit it, it, it certainly has the potential to be to reshape economic geography if you think that some of the industrial assets that we'll need to create for this transition so major centers of employment around say turbine blade manufacturing or battery recycling or whatever it might be Um, as in previous industrial uh, industrialization uh, drives 
where those things happen is partly about where natural resources are located. So the new winners of um, this wave of industrial development could be quite different from one's past. And so I think within a UK context, that's quite exciting because the UK is one of those lucky countries that has enormous reserves of renewable energy. It's you know one of the world's top hotspots for wind energy, um, from energy from water, and so on. So that the potential for it to be transformative and economic geography in the UK must be very high. So I think from that perspective, um, it's a really exciting time. But then there's the the kind of the question of how do you make places respond to the challenges of net zero? So you know, what does that mean for our housing stock? How we design towns and villages and cities and um, you know what what would it mean to completely change the way we get from one area to another and all the rest of it. So I think there's a lot of different levels to this, um, but every one of them, when you think about it, could be quite transformative for LED and placemaking. Uh, are there any any other uh, topics that you really do think we ought to turn our attention to? And you know, how how would you like to see more involvement? I guess from our listeners you know, in the podcast as we move forward? Well, I, I think in terms of future topics and, and episodes, um, I, just given the political context, there's probably going to need to be um, some space to react to events as they as they happen next year. So um, I think we need we, we probably could do with a sort of roundup of, of, of news in, in LED um, as it happens over the previous uh, few weeks. I, I think... Um, notwithstanding what I what I said earlier in the episode about actually how the prospect of political change can pour glue over everything, I, the reality is it could also generate a lot of excitement about about what that change will mean. So we need we need to keep close tabs in 2023 on, um, for instance, on on the evolving position of the opposition, uh, Labour, and and as it puts meat on the bones of its. Uh, plans for local economic development and devolution uh, in particular. But I, th- I think another one, a, a topic we haven't mentioned yet, but which I think is important, um, is the role of the macroeconomic environment in setting the rules of the game for local economic development. I, I, if, if, if I could sum up the most frequently used words uh, or, or topic in, in in LED certainly across the projects I've worked on it would be inflation. Um, you know, if you consider that those in our sector who are putting together program plans, investment prospectuses, and so on, uh, UK SPF investment plans, the assumptions on which those plans are based around what a given resource will translate into in terms of outputs, um, how many people you can employ on a task, uh, how many jobs might be created from a grant, um, basic assumptions that, that go into economic appraisals for programmes are being upended by events. Um, when you've got inflation, um, consumer price inflation at 10%, but when you've got um, inflation in, in business energy bills, much higher than that, potentially, when you've got wage inflation running at a similar um, rate. Um, it's very, very difficult to plan ahead. So I think there's there's definitely a topic more generally about how do you 
cope with uncertainty and forward planning with local economic development and specifically around the challenges that we have at, at, at the moment with inflation. But just thinking about our, our listeners, David, I, I would love it if um, our listeners could put some questions to us and you know through to us personally um through through our websites um, about what topics they would like to see uh, discussed or what question and any question actually that they'd like us to answer uh, we would be more than happy to do that i'm sure yeah that would be a great development and let's try and uh, find a way to have sessions and you know interactions with our listeners that enable that to happen and any ideas you have uh, if you're listening to this please please get in touch. I mean, I'm going to finish with, I mean, I do want to finish on a sort of upbeat note, given the holiday season and, and so on. But, and, and just to reflect that probably one of the more tiring, but most enjoyable days that I've had professionally of 2022, which was actually with you, Mike, was you know, working for a, a client where over the course of the day, we had two futures workshops. The first with um, young people who are learners or students at a general further education college. Um, and the second, later on that day, with what was called a next generation group of sort of 20s-something high-flying, up-and-coming managers in in both public and uh, private sectors in a place and and we we spoke to we had structured discussions and workshops with them about the future and and you know, not only was that very stimulating not only did it provide us with insights that our extensive evidence reviews hadn't perhaps surfaced in quite the way that the young people articulated it to us but I also thought it gave us a really important takeaway about the planning and management of change. And we've had a number of episodes talking about community agency and place-based agency. And I took away very much from that day the need to find ways to get young people engaged in debates about the future of the places that they live, work and spend leisure time in, in a much more structured and consistent way than has typically been the case, you know, in our sector. So, um, I mean, I don't know, uh, A, whether that day made as much of an impression on you, but, but, but I mean, how does LED... You know, particularly when so much of our work is about tight deadlines and about um, immediate you know, bidding criteria or reporting criteria or indeed servicing the usual suspects of local leadership teams. How do we, if you like, harvest that energy, enthusiasm and insight from young residents and young members of the labour markets in local places? I, I think potentially the the LSIP, the, the Local Skills Improvement Plans process, uh, that is an opportunity to engage young people in thinking about the careers they want to have in a local area. And actually, you know, th- that is, you know, it, it is a programme, a process 
that potentially could really open up some some uh, some great consultations, great conversations with young people about their aspirations for place. So I think we need to seize on that. Um, and I know from the local areas that I work with, certainly the ones that are more advanced in the LSIP process, that an awful lot of time and thought is being given to how that consultation works and trying to be as inclusive as possible. So that would be a plea to, to anyone working on those that, you know, let's make sure that this is a, a complete conversation and it, and it and it speaks to the people who ultimately are at the heart of all of this, which is the, the people actually doing the training and, and, and gaining the qualifications uh, and, and skills. But to, to answer your, your, your question, David, yes, it, it, it did make a big impression on me i think what what i came away with was an understanding that there are different types of expertise in our sector there's an expertise about how you run programs there's an ex- there's a type of expertise that's about how you manage um, change there's an expertise um, around economics and understanding the data that describe your area and, and we've covered I think those different types of expertise within our episodes but the, the one ex- young people have an expertise all of their own which is they understand the attraction of a place to them they understand how attractive a place is as somewhere that they would want to put down roots um, they have an expertise on their own career path. You know, they'll have aspirations about where they want to move to, what college or university or career path they want to follow. And they will understand some of the things that are driving that better than you can understand simply from looking at you know, headline statistics on school attainment or whatever it might be. And I think when we did that consultation, a whole range of of issues um, came out of that that I just don't think you would have got without it. You know, we heard about, you know, how important it was, how, how important community safety was to their sense of pride in place. You know, you could have a very pretty area, you could, you know, make smarten it up in all sorts of ways. But if they didn't feel safe walking from home to their place of education or work, then um, something very important is missing there. And that's the kind of thing that might make them go elsewhere. So I think they're a really important base of expertise. We need to engage them. Let's use the LSIP process, um, which is going to get into full swing early next year. Let's use that and try and build out from there, I think. Yeah, and and if if it wasn't included in the Labour long list of uh, Devo proposals, maybe we should throw into the mix something around young people's involvement in leadership and governance of of place and uh, see whether we get a a willing listen from you know either labor or indeed any of the other uh, political parties look i mean uh, i've thoroughly enjoyed um these conversations with you mike uh, during the year i think uh, led confidential has been actually has been one of the things that uh, I found particularly stimulating and enjoyable. So many thanks for your company during the year. Many thanks to James, James Marriott, who has um, put up with us and produced for us, to our six wonderful guests uh, and to the listeners. Um, And I hope that uh, all of you do have uh, a good holiday season and will join us on the other side, so to speak. I'll leave the last word to you, Mike. (laughs) 
Well, thanks also, David, to you, to all of our listeners, to our producer, James. Um, It's been a great year, a a real um, eye-opener for me. Um, on how podcasts are put together uh, and um, and al- and also it's been stimulating thinking about where our sector's going where it's been and and what I can promise you is that we will be back in the new year bigger and better than ever before um, we'll be launching our new series very very soon uh, and we will be with you throughout the journey in 2023 and um, whatever that brings for our sector we will be there with you we will be there as your as your friends and industry colleagues um, on this this crazy journey of local economic development so uh, have a great festive break and we will listen to you see you and hear from you in the new year